George and Raul say hello. Hello. Hi. I like starting off the podcast really creepy. Like I like that. You guys hear an echo? There's an echo there's in there. Echo, yeah. I like it though. It's cool, man. All right. Um, hey guys, you know, uh, welcome to the podcast, the Phil Kraft Survival Podcast. This podcast is sponsored. Hey, some sponsors, Uncana. I know uh, Raul has been trying the salve, which is the topical stuff. Yeah, big time. I all this wrestling that I've been doing for our program, it's it's definitely kicking my body's butt, but it's helping me heal a lot faster and definitely notice the difference. And you're using it, George, on your elbow, right? Your weak elbow? My weak ass elbow, yeah. <laughs> it's coming along pretty good. And I used it on uh Sarah used it on her back and her her shoulder. It Money. went away. It was she loved it. Hey, so I will tell you there's a lot of products that we we talk about in sponsorships that we believe in, but this one has helped me the most. Uncana. U-N-C-A-N-N-A.com, Uncana.com. Uncana makes trusted natural solutions for CBD. They're advocates for CBD, veteran-owned, LEO, and federal communities are getting more involved, and these guys are behind the legitimate information of educating people. I use, I, well, I use the, top, the topical, I use the, uh, the CBD oil, but I just started using the pill version of it. Two of those every single night, seven to eight hours of sleep, which is unheard of for me, anybody knows um, how my sleep patterns, they're all, all jacked up. So the fact that I can do it, uh, hashtag opt natural OPT natural uncannically is vertically, vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell supplying premium, small batch products to America's best. Make sure you guys use Phil craft at checkout to save 10%. That's Phil craft. One word to save 10% at, at uncanna.com and look forward to having the uh, CEO, the owner of, uh, uncanna on a podcast here coming up. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Triarch. Mission, provide tailored solution and weapon systems for professional end uses to keep pushing forward. The bottom line is, if you guys have been following us, they make a weapon system that just not only looks good, but has the utility and function. I've run the crap out of their 17 Charlie Glock, the Glock 43, uh, the Custom 1911, no issues whatsoever. Uh, you know... We always talk about firearms and what we recommend. One, the Glock. Two, make sure it's made by Triarch. Triarch is T-R-I-A-R-C dot com. Make sure you use Philcraft at checkout to save on checkout. A uh, bunch of good people from Texas making good guns for uh, utility and function. Also, hey, hey guys, this podcast is also sponsored by TrueBrain. Uh, I just gave you the uh, ketones. You tried it yet? I did. It's not bad. It's 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 easy on the taste palate, which is something that's uh that kind of drives me either into a product or out of it. It's just it tastes good. It's fast. I know I'm still rocking keto. I think it's like almost going on sixty days now. I know, dude. You look so good. So You're so yeah. handsome. Uh, you Your know, abs. Just, mm, mm. Abs. Let me see abs again. Abs by <laughs> abs by forty. Um, forty days, not forty years. I can't <laughs> wait to see that. Hey, if you uh, aren't following Raul, it's at at Raul at Raul at Raul R A U L dot Martinez. Dot uh, Junior. Dot Junior um, on Instagram. And he's doing a 40-day challenge where he could actually see his ads. But he's on keto, too. Which, which is, is cheating, right? Yeah. You know, keto is really important, especially when it comes to metabolic reset. And what I like about True Brain's products is, you know, True Brain is T-R-U-Brain.com. If you look at the ketone ester, it's literally going to amplify your uh, ketones in your blood. And it, we've tested it on a, on a keto mojo uh, and actually tested our ketone levels, and it does do that. But even if you're not keto, like right now on paleo, 
um, which means I eat whatever the fuck I want. Um, <laughs> if you were if you're paleo even and you take it, the the uptick of ketones in your blood is good for metabolic and cognitive function. So I fast 16 hours every single day. And so today I woke up, I had a coffee with ketone ester. Um, tastes good, like uh, Ro was talking about. I drink that, and then I don't eat till noon. It gives me enough energy to function through the through the morning. Also, I just tried their nootropics, and I gave you some of those too. I haven't tried those yet. Tell me a little bit about those so that I know what, what I'm getting into. So the, the nootropic th- thing is cool. It's like basically brain food. And when, mm. whether you're looking at like taking tests, you're looking at just being more aware, you know, you have a technical, um, you know, performance-based job and you're just going into it, or just for shits and giggles, it has caffeine, it has all the nootropics and things that you, your brain needs early in the morning or for really any activity. They say you could use it as a good pre-workout as well. Nice. Um, and I just take I just take it uh, typically mid-morning. And yeah, it's breaking fast because it does have a little bit of calories in it, but allows me to uh, accelerate brain function. And you know, it, I'd like to get a baseline of like you taking it and not taking it and then doing something like a speaking engagement or whatever yeah. and see how much it improves. But like you said, it tastes all of True Brain stuff tastes good. Anyways, I digress because I'm passionate about it. Uh, check out TrueBrain.com. Use the uh, the code FIELDCRAFT15 to save 15%, which is obviously a big uh, uh, discount. Hey, today on the podcast, we got Raul, George, and myself, and we're shooting the shit. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, including the shooting in New Zealand, the Zimbabwe cyclone, future of our society, the Go Rig Challenge 2. We just picked up a new bike and much, much more. Thanks for tuning in the podcast, guys. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. We got Tri Host. We're having a threesome today. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Good yeah. morning, Mike. Good morning. George Raul on the uh, ones and twos, and uh, we're doing a podcast here, shooting the shit at Phil Craft HQ, talking about a few things that are pretty significant in society, especially in the field of preparedness and survival. And this morning, I'm going to kick it off just talk about this shit because this is, this is comical. Um, there's a big division amongst our society that's really uh, quantifiable in comments on our individual post. Like this morning at 4 a.m., I woke up because I went to bed early, and I posted and talked about uh, gun control. If you haven't been tracking the New Zealand situation, the, the uh, prime minister there with the parliament decided that they're going to go move forward with banning assault weapons. It's undetermined how they classify and determine exactly what assault weapon is, but generally speaking, it falls into the military style battle rifle, which covers the AR-15 or M16 and M4 Alpha, uh, which is the carbine version of it. So any AR-15 platform essentially um, based on what the killer used to kill 50 people in New Zealand is going to be banned in that country. And I remember I, I, I started engaging and communicating about this. And the first thing I got was, who cares? It's New Zealand. You know, they're, they're, they're a monarchy. They have a, a parliament. They have like a queen. Like, who cares? It's not us. Well, we soon, how soon do we forget our past? Um, a lot of us here remember this because we were alive in our prime, but we had an assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004, which included the uh, making of manufacturing any AR-15 or AK-47 or any assault weapon period illegal. And so only people who were manufacturing those was companies that uh, were doing it for military or law enforcement. And also a magazine capacity band and a automatic 
Seer banned, which banned all automatic weapon systems. And that lasted for 10 years. Started under President Clinton, lasted 10 years. And here we are today. We forget about this because during the baby, or not, I'll call it the baby boom. It's not the actual baby boom, but but during the the boom of weapon sales in 05, I know a lot of people who became millionaires overnight when that, when that uh, legality basically was nulled because it expired and the gun uh, and tactical industry freaking exploded. I was in the middle, I was in special operations at the time it happened and lots of companies um, became million dollar companies and the amount of AR-15s in our system completely blew the fuck up. And so here we are today, and we forget that in two years, uh, actually less than two years, we're going to be in another presidential election cycle. And if the Democratic or liberal or left side um, decides to run on a gun control platform, which I think they will, because it's it's absolutely uh, uh, politically toxic, and so it's a good way for them to get votes, then we might be looking at another assault weapons ban. What do you think, Raul? You got a lot of experience in this, man. You were a law enforcement officer enforcing those laws during that time period, and you've seen it from uh, kind of full spectrum and, and have more knowledge on it than we do. So <clears throat> it, it, it was a tricky time just in the sense that I, I'm i very uh, pro-America for the people, so I I even said it to a couple guys. I was like, man, I'll, I'll turn my badge in if it's, if it's about going and taking things from people. Uh, so hopefully that's not a thing that happens, but... Even in a city like Chicago, where I came from, there's tons and tons of guns that are just running around. And no matter what bans or, or what things we think are going to be put in place to stop um, certain things from happening, uh, it's not going to change anything. There's a market for it regardless of it being legal or illegal on paper. So there's going to be guns out there. If I wanted a gun, even as a cop, if I wanted a gun, I could just talk to somebody and have a gun that was completely washed and nobody would be able to track that gun. 100%. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky because we want to think that that's the solution, and it really isn't. It's just a, it, it's a, top, it's a, it's a Band-Aid for people that think that paper is going to stop a physical act um, of violence. So, Yeah, I, one of the things that I, t- I talked about is because – Look, I will get better at annotating or uh, making sources for information available. And I did that on the story this morning and outlined and highlighted with my doodle finger uh, everything that was outlined. Let me just let's lay out some facts because I want I want to express this and the guys haven't even heard this yet so I can get their opinion on it. But the first thing to understand is that you have three cycles of operation. Generally speaking, you know, there's always more. But generally speaking, you have three cycles of operations in, in weapon systems. You have manual bolt override or manual bolt cycling, which means you're taking a bolt and, you know, you're driving the round into the chamber. You push the trigger or press the trigger. It goes boom. And then you have to manually cycle it again. There's pistols and rifles that are, that are actually uh, bolt-driven and cycled by the bolt manually. Also, you have semi-automatic weapons, which means if you pull the trigger, it goes boom, and it cycles. There's a few cycles of operation, gas tabbit, gas impingement, blowback, etc. But, but generally speaking, you pull the trigger, it goes boom, and then it resets, and you do it again. The third component is an automatic sear or an automatic weapon system, which you pull the trigger once, and it goes boom, 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 until it's out of ammunition or until you let off the trigger. The differentiating factor between those three is time. That's what it is. It's time. But here's some miseducation. If you take a bolt gun, for example, 
a bolt gun, generally speaking, is more accurate than a semi-automatic weapon system. The reason it is is because when you close a chamber, you have more consistent muzzle velocity. That's how you measure it. But you have more um, consistent uh, chamber-locked pressure. And so what happens is there's no gas escaping, and generally speaking, you can measure the muzzle velocity in a couple feet per second. So you have better consistency. So generally speaking, those guns are more accurate. Versus a semi-automatic weapon system, which locks a bolt, but there's gas that escapes, and you get inconsistencies, you know, a minimum inconsistency I've seen is 40 to 60 feet per second, which just, me- just means it's not as accurate. You know, in fact, when people look at AR-15s, they always look at the gun and they go, man, this gun's a, a piece of crap, but they don't understand all the variables involved, including ammunition, chamber pressure, and then obviously the human being and atmospherics. Well, if you think about that and you actually apply some... Uh, some understanding to that, then you would understand that a 300 Win Mag, for example, or a 308 uh, 762 by 51 millimeter uh, rifle, which shoots 3,000 feet per second, 2,800 feet per second around there, is shooting a 762 millimeter projectile, can shoot accurately out to 1,000 meters with 308, 1,200 meters for 300 Win Mag, and I'll say 1,500 meters, you know, generally speaking. And this is what I've seen capabilities from special operations guys, 1,500 meters with 338 Lapua. Think about that. You take the same thing in the AR-15 platform, which is not as accurate and is shooting a 5.56 millimeter projector or 0.22, basically a 22 um, caliber round uh, that just has a lot more muzzle velocity behind it and, and uh, gunpowder. And you ask yourself what's more dangerous, a M4 carbine has a maximum point effective range of about 550 meters. And then an area range, depending on the setup, I'd say generally speaking about seven, 800 meters. Um, I've seen them accurate out to a thousand meters, but it's really inconsistent. So think about what that does. You have a weapon system that's completely legal, that's allowed by hunters. You can get a rifle that's accurized and you can get the, uh, the manual bolt action version of it. You could sit on a rooftop and you could shoot targets from 1,500 meters, or generally speaking, for layman's terms, 15 football fields, versus an AR-15 platform that could do about five football fields. And then you ask yourself, what is actually more dangerous? Well, if you're on the left and you're miseducated, or even on the right and miseducated, they would say the AR-15 because it has the ability to shoot faster and shoot more. Well, here's another discrepancy. An automatic weapon system is less accurate and less effective than a semi-automatic weapon system in the same hands, which means this is the analogy that I'm going to use because this is the only one that I could use to make kind of make visual observational sense of this. If I go on a range and I lay out targets, let's say a hundred targets on the left side of the range and a hundred targets on the right side of the range at a hundred meters, let's call it 50 meters. And I take myself with an AR-15 platform, semi-automatic versus automatic, and I shoot those, those still and try to effectively shoot and annihilate or drop those targets with good shots as fast as I can, the semi-automatic weapon system will win every time. Because what you don't understand about Sears and automatic weapon systems is when you're shooting them, as they're muzzle flipping and recoiling, a second round's coming out at an undetermined time. So you're not allowing the gun to settle, which means you could suppress or you could induce mass casualties, meaning injury, more 
prevalently with the automatic weapon system, but you're not going to be as effective in accuracy and I would say in speed and uh, lethality on those targets. And why? Because when I shoot a gun and I look through the optic and I hit a still target, I could drive it to the next target and effectively shoot it in the uh, upper torso or the head and then drop another target. And I could do that independently uh, between shots one at a time in semi-automatic function versus automatic where I have to drive the barrel and hope that those rounds are impacting across the spectrum of those targets. Now, somebody out there might be able to prove me wrong, but I'll tell you just from special operations experience, I've never seen in a gunfight a special operations guys guy in a hundred gunfights. This is this is probably a minimum a minimal uh, determination. I've been in at least a hundred gunfights. I've never seen from myself or from somebody else use an M4 that had the capability to do auto fire, shooting automatically, use that function because you're less effective with it. So then if I provided that information to a policymaker, then it would shape and completely change the way you look at it. Because then you would look at long rifles as being more dangerous, but it's not. We look at it and go AR-15 platforms are more dangerous. You know why? Because they look scary. Because SEAL Team 6, because the Army, because the military uses them, so now they've been demonized. You want to hear some interesting statistics? Since 1982, out of all the mass shootings, over 100 have been pistol. Out of the 87 mass shootings that, were, that pistols were used, over 100 pistols were utilized at, at 87 uh, shootings. How many were rifles? Half of those were rifles. So 50 plus were utilized uh, as rifles. And then you go, oh, gotcha. The rifles are, are dangerous. But guess what? That's not AR-15s. That's bolt-action guns. Uh, that's semi-automatic rifles that aren't AR-15 platforms. You know how many are AR-15 platforms? 13. 13 AR-15s were used in mass shootings since 1982. One, three. So then you ask yourself, well, that's still significant, right? Because it's 13. You know how many shotguns were used? 37. So in speaking on the reality of guns and looking at it comparatively to what they're doing Shotguns are more dangerous than AR-15s. But again, we demonize ar 15 We wouldn't look at Mossberg um, shotguns or hunting shotguns as being dangerous, but they have killed more people and mass shootings double that of AR-15s. But again, AR-15s are the problem. Uh, the reason I bring all this shit up, to be honest, is because I want you to be concerned because this uh, ne- next election cycle, there is a trend, and it's a worldwide trend where we look at the world and how we operate and our politics are shaped by uh, worldly decisions. Somebody from the left, more than likely, is going to run on a platform going against Trump. It's going to be about border control. It's going to be about commerce. It's going to be about trade. It's going to be about environmental. It's going to be about gun control, more than likely. And so if you're miseducated and you jump on the bandwagon because somebody's like, we don't need these guns in our society, guess what's going to happen? A lot of fucking innocent people are going to get uh, duped into jumping on the train. And then the next thing you know, we're going to be the next New Zealand or the next uh, 10-year ban. And look, I'm devil's advocate. I I want to play worst case scenario here. The worst case, like Raul said, is, hey, if they show up and they say, hey, all the guns that we use um, that are semi-automatic assault weapons as they determine it, like New Zealand's doing a buyback program, 
if you don't give them up and you don't get them bought out and you have them, you're a fucking felon. What do you think is going to happen next? A lot of a, a lot of melee. You guys got any predictions on that? I mean, not only is it going to be an issue or a struggle, but think about it. The more laws we create, the more criminals we create, right? So you do that, now we have more criminals, and it's just people who are your everyday uh, citizen or your neighbor or your friend who just happens to like guns and has a safe full of these things. And all of a sudden overnight, because somebody decided that it's now illegal and, and a new law has has come up, now they're, they're hardcore felons that can go to prison. And if you're associated, you can have that association. So, like, you can lose friendships. You can lose a lot of things over things that... Yeah, you guys, you guys experienced that in the drug game, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> fucking marijuana, man. Yeah, I would laugh when they're like, "Ah, take them in. We'll charge them with dealing for uh, uh, we'll charge them as a dealer versus uh, somebody who's possessing it." Is that a felony or a delivery versus possession, uh, depending on the amount? Um, but any delivery, especially if there was uh, a weapon involved, was heightened. Even a legal weapon. Felony. Uh, a lot of the, even here. So here in, in Arizona, if you have a legal concealed carry permit and you have some uh, some weed in the car, now you have a little bit more of an issue versus Ooh. just having one or the other. So you can have one or the other and it's less of an issue. Yeah. But both. having them both, it, it creates a criminal, which is like an element of potential dealing or something like that where you can get robbed as well too. So I don't know. I, I don't know why it's so complex. I think... Uh, the more laws we have, the more criminals we have. And that's just like a, a stat across the board. And then, <laughs> man, I, I laugh when I think back of all the stuff we, we would do and lock dudes up for and the things that I would fight against. I'd be like, I'm not taking that guy. He was smoking a blunt. Who cares? Uh, that's common practice in a lot, of a lot of parts of the city in Chicago. I mean, you can walk down the street and somebody's smoking something. Yeah. And uh, Well, if you make a felon, you make a, if you make a criminal of them, then the mentality is like, well, fuck it, I'm already a criminal. Like, what yeah. do I got to lose now? Man, right? That's such a good point, dude. And then and it gets worse. They're like, well, that's it. I'm in the system now. I have a record. Now I have to live up to this name, this felony, this fucking shit. That then they just get progressively worse. Well, well let me go get a pistol. Let me go that, start is that street robbing. cred? It's it pretty, is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, on one end, we're 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 making them, and I mean, it's. It's job security for a lot of law enforcement, right? The more criminals you have, the easier it is to, to wrap dudes up. And it sucks because the design of, of, of law enforcement was just to kind of be like, look on the outside and figure things out and fix things as needed, not create criminals and then track them yeah. and then use them as your stats for the month. Yeah. Because you knew he was coming out. So you would give a dude a ticket. You know he's not going to pay it. And then you know he's not going to go to his court date. And now he's got a warrant. And now you take that dude in. And I mean, this is like, it's a vicious cycle. People, right? I mean, some guys aren't going to like me for saying that cycle, but that's the truth, man. Stop fucking with people. Yeah. Like these are our people. These are our citizens. Like, yeah. Well, I think about all the people that are in prison right now over, over, uh, over marijuana. Yeah. It's like, dude, come on, man. Like violent offenders is what child molester, rapers, Very violent true. criminals. Let's, let's stop. Why don't we go after them? Like they're, it's like, we're so lenient on. Like child molesters and rapists. I know. Like, Come on, man. Like, let's just focus on those scumbags. <laughs> yeah. Like, every, you know, they're scumbag people, but just because you smoke weed, you're not a bad person. Nope. You know, I know plenty of people who are <laughs> law abiding citizens who pay taxes, who work their asses off, who have families and successful careers who smoke weed. But in some states, still, you get caught with some weed, guess what? You're going to prison, you're going to jail. 
And it's like, dude, like, why would we want to go down that road? And I, I see the same issue with guns. Like, a lot of a lot of the problems with guns too is if it's not federally, like, at the state level, when these governors uh, enact these laws on the books that are, um, you know, mis informed like the california is a good example california there's laws on those on those books that when i go into california to train law enforcement i could go to prison mm-hmm. if i ran across the law i mean luckily i know like every law enforcement agent in in the state of california and and i've trained there for years but under the wrong circumstance i could be in pres- prison yeah and what i don't understand is you know part of the constitutional second amendment is it's not just the right to bear arms, but to, the right to prevent a tyrannical government standing up against its people. And look, I, I'm not afraid to say this. I don't think there should be any gun regulation, specific gun regulation, on the books. If I want to have a if I want to have a tank in my fucking front yard, I should have a tank. If I want to have as law abiding system, if I want to have an arsenal of AR-15s, I should be allowed to have AR-15s. Now, what the limitation, and uh, I want you guys' feedback on this, the limit for me is how you educate the public on handling firearms. And you know, I'm just using this whole, this whole DMV analogy. Um, it's been spoken about on podcasts uh, uh, before. But if you're a 16-year-old person, right? If you're a 16-year-old young male or female and you want a license, you have to go to DMV. You have to go through driver's education. You have to learn. You have to be tested and evaluated before you can get a license. You know why? Because we don't want kids on the roads mowing down people in their cars because they haven't been trained. Why do, not, why do we not follow the same suit with firearms? You know, you could be an 18-year-old in rural America, go to Walmart and buy any gun you want, long gun you want, uh, 21 for pistols, any one you want, and have no experience or training. So the same standards that we hold law enforcement to in a one-week span of firearms training during the academy, we completely neglect when it comes to civilians. You know, the concealed carry classes, for the most part, I mean, Big John uh, AZ down in uh, Phoenix actually has a good program because he trains his people uh, that are going through his uh, concealed carry. But for the most part, I've been through those concealed carry courses. They're a joke. A lot of them are just, it's very subjective and they don't train. So why don't we have a system in order to train civilians to validate their their abilities to get guns because then we would educate them on the do's and don'ts, safe gun handling practices, and the law. But we don't have that as a measure. And so that's one problem. The next problem is the way we do background investigations. We don't have a robust system in background investigations for people that are getting guns. It's a, it's a check and balance. They, they file it via paperwork because they don't have a federal database because I'm assuming that the database uh, that I've read, and this might be wrong, was unconstitutional as far as knowing and associating people's names with the amount of guns they were, they were uh, getting. But states are fucking saying, fuck it. I don't care. I mean, now they're talking about an ammo database for Californians, and they have a limitation. You can't even ship ammo into California anymore. I'm, I'm waiting to get stopped at the agriculture checkpoint and get my car uh, swept with ammo. I got ammo in my damn seat. And, uh, you know, so the, there's, there's issues there, but there's also some things that we could focus on outside of the, um, you know, the, the bullshit that's been uh, dispelled. You know what's crazy about databases, man? And everyone, they try to deny it and, and kind of like look, look past it. Every time you get stopped, 
you get put into a database and it locates the time and place, what, what you were wearing that day. Like there's little descriptions, what you were driving that gets put on a database into a database, right? Uh, here specifically. Uh, and it's tricky because you're not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to create databases on people. And then every time, so you get a number associated to your database, to your person, and your vehicle gets one as well. So now every time your vehicle stopped, everything's recorded uh, as far as why it was stopped, who stopped it, all this. And then all of this can be accessed um, with the uh, Freedom of Information Act, right? I can go in there and request all of Mike's information, everywhere you've been stopped, everywhere you've been, and I can create my own database on you. And it's just there. And it's, it's scary. unconstitutional. Jeez. And I will say that dudes that wear badges that swear oaths to constitutions, not only the United States, but local state ones, like, be, be mindful of that, guys. Like, yeah, because the biases are developed from the data, right? Because yeah. you could look at, I mean, I, I just called the cops on some dumbass the other day, and hopefully he's a listener to this podcast, but this dude was following me. And I called Prescott PD. They showed up, and super professional. I love Prescott PD. Uh, but they showed up and then asked me a whole bunch of questions. But they have determined, hey, who's the potential good guy here? Who's the bad guy here? And they're accumulating all this information. And what's crazy is, this, so this dude was following me the day before. And I was looking, going to look at houses. And then the next day, I'm in a different vehicle. And he's behind me as I park a vehicle into, a, into an area where I'm going to see a buddy of mine. And I'm like, oh, my God, this dude's following me. He's going to, I mean, this, I'm expecting this dude to get out with a Mac-10 and shoot me in the face. So I call the cops and do the right thing. When this dude calls the cops and says that I'm, he didn't say I was brandishing a firearm. He said um, something like he thought I had a firearm or something like that. Because when the cops showed up, Prescott PD's like, they looked at me like, hey, did you did you check check me? Check if I had a gun. Yeah. And then they mentioned dispatch. I'm like, what? This dude, <laughs> he called me out for having a gun. And, and so it was his ver word versus mine. But now in the database, I'm the guy who is potentially brandishing a gun. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm completely innocent because some asshole is following me. And I want to protect my family. I get pulled over again. Now there's a heightened, you know, and I get the situation awareness aspect, but now it's bias. Yeah. Because the guy, guy gets out and he's like, hey, this dude, because he doesn't have a full picture, right? He just has the analytics that were antiquated by the officer on the scene. Mm -hmm. Oh, this dude was brandishing a firearm before. So now he has his hand on his gun. He's like a new officer. He's like, hey, what's going on? Yep. I'm like, uh, I don't know. You fucking tell me. Like, what's up? Like, you're a little, you're a little antsy right yeah. now. So I could see that, man. That's, that's scary. And, and when you look at, like, the sheriff for uh, Amador County, it, I love Amador County in California, Northern California. He basically said to the governor, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I am not. And if people know about Northern California, there's the, uh, uh, the state of Jefferson which is a completely set, a whole bunch of counties got together and the sheriffs got together and said, we're not enforcing any of your stupid laws because we're not going to infringe constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. So they said to the government, go fuck yourself. And if you come in here, we're going to have a problem. And they don't fuck with them. Yeah. In Amador County, I could roll around with a gun anywhere and there was no second question. But um, anyways, I digress that the issue is it's like rolling in semi to non-permissive environments. Yeah, it's where tricky. You're on the streets of fucking, uh, you know, Mogadishu, and you're in one neighborhood. Next thing you know, you're on another neighborhood, and you're getting fucking rolled up at a checkpoint. Yeah. And so that 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 varying discrimination 
um, and, and the room for error, we're going to fuck that up. Even eventually. if I'm a witness to something, they're going to have my, like if they take my statement, mm-hmm. my name is connected to that case or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So whatever comes up, my name is in a database. Yeah. And then if I'm a witness, I see it. I know, it. man. That's, it's just nuts. It's just scary, dude. It's scary. So, so let's say Mike's a bad guy, right? He does some <laughs> shit. You're a witness. You didn't know no better. You don't know Mike. You just saw some stuff, right? His people can go and request all the data on that case, and your name will be mm-hmm. in there with your home address, with all your information. Yep. Crazy, right? That's is, that, is that federal or any state or local can do that, too? They could request it. I mean, locals do it, man. I'll tell you firsthand. I, I did it. And uh, it was part of the job, and I didn't like doing it, but... You know, if we go back to you talking about, you know, for, like, you wouldn't buy a gun, there should be some kind of gun education. Like, I remember when I was, I think, 10, 11, or 13, somewhere around there, and I wanted to go hunting, I had to take a hunter's education course for, like, a a week. And it showed you how to, like, handle, like, your firearm. In Ohio, you had shotguns for deer season. So, but I had to go out, I had to show, like, how how I unloaded it, loaded it, and I had to take a written test, like an exam, like 50-question exam. I'm 13 years old. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. And I passed. But for that, I think it was two or three days or a week. I mean, it was like a two-hour, three-hour course that you're sitting in getting educated on, like, handling a firearm, you know, designating what a target is. And before you pull the trigger, make sure you know what it is that you're shooting. And it was great. You know, you learn so much. Bro, you know what? This is just me spitballing because I've got a I got a Kill Cliff energy drink in me right now. <laughs> But dude, what if we? Because we got we got Prescott Valley and Prescott Prescott Mayor, right? They're they're mm-hmm. advocates for the company. They support small business and veteran business in the in this area. That's why I love it here. Um, but both of the mayors have talked about us talked to us about the Special Operations Ranger Museum, and they're advocates and supporters of it. What if we did like a a study, right, where we we made Prescott and Prescott Valley the test bed for it? Where Phil Craft, as a nonprofit, um, no no, pro- no for profit, we trained every single uh, Prescott resident that wanted to get a firearm for the future. So we basically said, "Hey, this is a volunteer program. If you want want it, we will uh, advocate for it. And what will happen is you'll get just like the hunter safety. You'll get a two day block of instruction." We'll have classes where it's a Saturday. They come in. They get the legality, all the laws, right, on the book, just like you do with concealed carry. Mm -hmm. But instead, the second day is focused exclusively on safe gun handling, the actual uh, law as it applies to those guns that they're they're carrying, and then a shooting session, like a gunfighter pistol course for self-defense. And so it's basically a a check, check the block, but actually doing some good and educating the public Whereby they have like a F, um, or let's make it an A. F would be bad. I was going to F, <laughs> F for firearms. Let's do A, and an A on their driver's license that shows that they've been trained, right? So now, um, and that just gets me back to the database thing because that's just more, <laughs> that's just more data, dude. Well, that's, I just imagine a, a cop pulling up a dude. He's like, this dude's A trained, bro. Man. He's A trained. He's, <laughs> he's got more skills than I do right now. He's got an A plus, bro. This dude's. <laughs> Um, all right, maybe we don't do that aspect of it, but we start training citizens in our own community uh, to educate them. Because you're right, George. I mean, how how crazy is it that we train our children, right, to legally handle firearms when hunting animals, mm-hmm. right, live firearms, but we don't do anything 
for the for the eighteen to twenty one year old who uh, are going to buy a live firearm on their own. Yep, it's crazy. Oh my gosh, man! He, here, here's what I'm hearing from both of you, and it's it's awesome to hear it. I'm hearing education. Yeah. Right. So, what's the difference between uh, here? Let's go with this. I'm going to read the, the definition of freedom: the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Right? That's true freedom, right? Nobody's going to tell you anything or, or stop you from saying something or doing something. What changes in individuals that create chaos or destruction or are violent? It's education. And I think if, if we were able to create better education programs like the one you're mentioning where we can teach people, have them um, educated and confident to the point where they're going to pass it on. They're going to pass it to their kids. They're going to pass it to their neighbor's kids. Or there's a neighbor that's like, nah, I got it. Grandpa taught me everything I know. But the kid's curious, and the kid learns it from his kid. And everyone's just educating each other. And the problem is we've lost that sense of community. So now nobody's helping each other. We're not talking to our neighbor about our issues or this neighbor about that. I'm going to Home Depot to buy a drill that I'm only going to use once, right? This is a crude example. When I could have just talked to my neighbor, had a cup of coffee, borrowed his drill, and then been like, oh, well, I broke your drill, but I buy him a new set of drill bits. And it's like this cool um, community aspect of it where we're educating each other and we're helping each other grow. And now we know what we have. So now he knows that I have a wood shop and I know that he's got a drill and then together we can do something. And then it just goes from there. Um, but it all stems from education and allowing people to be free, right? So it almost seems like it's like uh, the land of the free if you're not a criminal. But who decides if you're a criminal, right? The laws, the laws that were imposed to create criminals, like we were talking about earlier. So there's this like crazy, uh, misconstrued like idea of freedom. When people want freedom, but they don't want that person to have freedom. Or I want to be free to tell you you can't have a gun. Well, you should also accept my freedom to have that gun. Like, it's cool. Think what you want, but also understand that I want to have what I want to have. But like now we impose our own ideals on people and it's like, well, let's just have a conversation about this and maybe we can come to agreement somewhere in the middle and it's not just me imposing my fucking ideas on you. Yeah, and we, and we talked about laws. I mean, everyone in this room breaks the law every single day. <laughs> every day you break a law. If you're speeding, mm -hmm. you're breaking the law. You, you know, you, you run a red light, you're breaking the law. I mean... So that's the thing we're talking about, like laws. Like, okay, you, it just doesn't make sense. Like, how how you hold, how are you going to hold people accountable for everything that's out there? And, and, and how are you going to mass punish? Yeah, everybody exactly. for something that it's so there's so many variables involved. Yeah. Well, here's one thing I'm going to do. In, in June, we're going to do a weekend course free to the public in Prescott and Prescott Valley. We'll talk to Chino Valley to see if we can get that range for free because we're going to run that course for free. We'll run a one day in the classroom um, here at Philcraft HQ, and then we'll run a Sunday. Well, I think what we can do to, to isolate it, if we can get a hold of the PDs per oh, yeah. and do it on their home turf. So yep. we're, we're catering to that specific community. So we'll, we'll do pub, uh, Prescott. We'll you try to get their range with Branch their RSOs. Yep. So there's like this meet and greet with the local cops. And then we could Start do Prescott Valley, let them build that relationship around firearms, right? Because, yeah, ah, so smart. everyone's like, oh, let's do coffee and, 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 and a conversation with a cop. Cool. That's very neutral, right? But now we're talking about self-defense aspects or we're talking about firearms, which is more taboo, right? And I hate to say that because um, it's just another freedom that we have. But if we, if we create that space with firearms, law enforcement, and education together mm. within a community 
dude, we can go so far. Yeah, we can build a good model for it. Well, let's let's do this for Chino Valley. Let's get Chino mm-hmm. uh, Valley PD to to you know see if we can get a couple RSOs from them and get yeah. buy in from them. Awesome. And then we'll do it. We'll set the course dates at a latter latter date. We'll advertise. It'll be free for everybody who is a law abiding citizen here in the in the uh, state of Arizona in Prescott Prescott Valley or Chino Valley. And uh, man, I, th- I think that could be some headway because the, the reality is. You know, we, we do identify a lot of problems, but, you know, coming up with some viable solutions, even in your own community, could be advantageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just helps. It helps uh, bridge gaps, especially with law enforcement, and that's a great idea. Um, all right, moving on, guys. Uh, we're talking about uh, some of the things that have happened recently disaster-wise. I'm looking at the Zimbabwe cyclone. is Cyclone Ida. So the de- defense minister says more than 120 bodies were washed in the neighboring uh, Mozambique by flooding caused by Cyclone Ida, bringing the death toll in Zimbabwe to at least 259. A health worker involved in the rescue operations says bodies are still being recovered. Look, you know, what's interesting to, to understand is no matter where you're located geographically in the world, your area that you live has disaster considerations. Um and depending on where you live, that could be many. But, you know, of the six major disasters, you could have several of those coming to the same place. What what always uh, I was always struck by uh, was the fact that in a built up area with lots of infrastructure and the availability of resources, you could have just as many casualties as somebody uh, as some place that's completely impoverished that has no infrastructure and no resources. The, the problem that you're seeing is obviously a lag time in the response for Mozambique because you have to get every USAID NGO in there to be able to respond because the people, the, the government, local, can't support the, the scale of the disaster. So, I mean, a perfect example for us is Puerto Rico. I mean, there's some places in Puerto Rico that still don't have power, that probably will never have power. And it took months for people in main um, portions of Puerto Rico to actually get power. And that's, you know, that's a... Uh, a uh, American, what do they call? It? Uh, uh, what is American? Uh, Red Cross? No, no, no. It's a U.S. territory. Uh, territory. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say colony. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you know, in speaking on natural disasters, look, there is like I, I actually uh, went through this uh, recently, where I'm like, am I just getting the pessimistic feeling that disasters are everywhere because it's being talked about more? No. If you actually look at statistics, which I did, looked at uh, analytics, there are more disasters. And and a lot of people speak about global warming, which you can't argue global warming is real. The effects on whether it's warming, cooling, or whatever the, the, the effects may be are completely changing our weather patterns and causing lots of significant issues that are killing hundreds of people. Um, and just talking about disasters and, and whether it's, you know, in Africa, it's so far displaced. So we see it on the news and we pick up our phone uh, and we get that sliver of information. It's like sucks to be them until it's you. Uh, Alabama in the beginning of March, uh, 20-something people, I think it was 23 people were killed by a tornado. Um, that cyclone or what do they call it, a, uh, it's a cyclone, right, that ripped through the United States and dumped a whole bunch of snow on the United States, including like four feet here. Um, the caused polar, polar vortex. Polar vortex. That was a polar vortex. And then a cyclone ripped through and yeah. in Nebraska shut down every major highway and road in Nebraska because of uh, the flooding and everything else. So it's just becoming more of an issue. 
Um, when you guys look at natural disaster preparedness, what are some of the things that you take into consideration? I think obviously, you know, a shelter, I mean, well, depending on what natural disaster is, if it's tornadoes, you know, you have a, a shelter underground, obviously when that shelter, you want to have, you know, your food, medical water, you know, stuff to like, you know, protect you like, uh, clothes and all that stuff. So, but I think it just depends on where you're at and what you need to, uh, prepare for. I mean, if it's like, if you're in a flooding area, you better be able to get out of there and, you know, float away or have something means of, you know, escaping before it happens. And like, don't wait till the last minute. Like if there's a report coming, assess your situation and make a plan. Don't wait till the last minute when flood, the floodwaters are coming through your house and you're like, Oh shit, I should have, uh, yeah. should have got that boat yesterday. Or, you know, I should have got bill down the street. He was going to help me out. But I just, I just said, nah, it's not going to happen here. So I mean, it's just like having that plan, like we always talk about, is is a thing. Like know when you're where, where you live. Like like you said, every different, every area is different. So know where you live and what's going to happen or potentially could happen, and have a plan for it. So, I know the, the points you made up are really important. That um, you know, there's there's people in flood zones that take it seriously that have inflatable rafts ready mm -hmm. on standby. Because it happens. If you if you live in Louisiana or anywhere along the Mississippi River, you better have mm -hmm. uh, the flotation device. And uh, another thing that's interesting is you know a lot of predictable measures exist uh, in that are in place uh, from the Weather Channel to you know you know local resources that put out that information that hey there's something happening mm -hmm. it's going to be impending. And if it's a hasty plan that comes together last minute because you're getting an idea of what's happening, that's better than nothing. Yep. A deliberate plan's more uh, more or or higher ha, has a higher probability of success than a hasty plan, but you, uh, any plan is better than none. And and the fact of the matter is, you know, even in a hasty situation like a tornado, which has, uh, I believe, a thirteen minute reaction time. Look, if if you have thirteen minutes to react and you put together a hasty plan to save your family, put them in a shelter, going over that information, rehearsing it before it actually happens is critical. Uh, I was talking to Mike Pannone on the phone the other day, and if you guys don't know Mike Pannone, he's a BCM gunfighter like me, and he, you know he comes from a, a really force recon, CAG guy, special forces guy, uh, um, a contractor, uh, awesome career in validation in the tactical space, and just highly respected. And he mentioned like, hey, in mindset, you should build this framework of rehearsing and practicing in your mind, because even if you just think about what happens and you vocalize it, you talk to your friends and family, you're doing a rehearsal. So when it actually does happen, you could implement or execute and not get bogged down with this decision-making or indecision-making uh, when, when something's happening uh, highly stressful. What yeah. about you, Raul? It's funny that you, you mentioned the rehearsal thing because dudes do it and they don't even know that they're doing it. They just called it something else. So guys that dry fire all day, what do you think that is? It's a rehearsal for an action that you want to perform better later. It's just you're using the term dry fire, right? So rehearsal is rehearsal. And I, I agree with the idea of, rehearse, uh, of rehearsals for things that might save your life. And here's, here's another thing. Uh, let's say there's a reaction time for something, right? 13 minutes for a tornado. Uh, <laughs> your plan is going to save you faster than the local authorities will come to save you because they have a plan as well. And then they have certain loopholes that they have to go through before they dispatch a bunch of tow trucks for like a snow a snow issue like here in town so i had to drive myself into phoenix i mean i was gonna drive myself anyway uh 
but it started snowing like crazy. And I, from what I hear, the tow trucks didn't even come out till, or not the tow trucks, the plows, uh, didn't come out till like midday. Oh yeah. I was, um, we were at the Hancock barbershop doing mm-hmm. that little photo shoot and like the street, I mean, it was like yeah. 14 inches of snow and then it was, we were mid morning and by the time we left there, I mean, no, the plows weren't even out there. Yeah. They came like, I think two o'clock, maybe midday, 12 o'clock. I don't, I'm not sure, but they, it was just piling up like yeah. nothing. Yeah, and then that's one of those things where, I mean, it wasn't an emergency. I just had to get down in, into the valley. And mm-hmm. what it was is, is I, I woke up just a little earlier. I looked out. I was like, yeah, I should probably go now. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I did. I went through and, and just got myself down there. But let, like, let's say that that would have kept going if it just kept snowing and didn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have your plan set for you and your, your people, your family. And, again, going back to the community aspect, let's say one of us, if we lived in an area and one of us had the high ground, uh, just talking about it, like, hey, man, if something gets really crazy, like the storm coming in, is it cool if we come over? We'll bring food and water and George will bring entertainment or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And now we have a plan. <laughs> and now we have this plan where we, we can work together to to stay alive, stay healthy um, and just, you know, progress in in life. Um, the what I'm saying is this is educate yourself, have a plan, rehearse the plan, talk to people through the plan. And uh, I mention this all the time. Like I tell my girl, if I have to get out of my car and it's a, a critical incident, she jumps into the driver's seat and now she's got control of the vehicle in case. Um, and th- that's just a small plan. That's a plan that, that's talked about and we've rehearsed it a few times. And even though they don't want to do it, <laughs> I force them to do yeah. it. Right. Um, but yeah, having that plan because your plan is going to get you out of trouble sooner than waiting for the authorities. We, we rely a lot on the authorities. Like everybody's like, well, we'll just wait for for these guys to come and plow or uh, yeah, plow the roads, or we'll wait for law enforcement to come do this. We'll we'll we'll, we'll wait for fire to come and help. Um, if if your neighbor's house is burning, and you happen to know your neighbor and you care about your neighbor, you're probably going to run through the door and be like, hey man, is everything cool? Try to grab some stuff, mm-hmm. grab the cat, grab, you know, grab some snacks yeah. while you wait for the fire department, something. Uh, versus like, if you never talk to your neighbor, you're just kind of looking at the house like, man, that sucks. And then you're just waiting right. for, for fire to come. Um, so have a plan, be reliant on your plan, rehearse the plan. And then, uh, yeah, go from there. It's like when I talk about don't wait till the last second, like if you're in like, hurricane cyclone tornadoes like don't wait till last second to leave your house because it's not just the wind it's what's the wind is carrying i mean in uh where was it at in uh, zimbabwe i mean you had flying sheets of metal decapitating people so Damn. it's like it, you got to know these things you know it's like wind high winds is gonna it's gonna lift some stuff up and it's gonna travel and if you're out there it's gonna hit you and either going to be dead or in the hospital for a long time. So yeah, the, one of the biggest considerations is his first aid, man. Like, like Raul said, you know, you take any major incident in any major town, city, or even rural environment, it, it takes away or detracts all the resources because they have to focus on that, that incident. So they're going to triage the entire disaster. You know, this, this is a FEMA protocol. Um, What's going to happen is they triage the natural disaster and they say, hey, where are all the critical needs? Where are the critical resources? They say, hey, we have mass casualties at a school, so we're going to leverage all our resources there. And out the out, all the outlining incidents get further down on the queue, and so they're, they're less of a priority. Well, let's say you're bleeding in your house. Well, you're going to come across injury, whether that's yourself or somebody else in a tornado or major disaster. 
So if you don't know how to treat people or yourself or your family, then you are going to be at a major disadvantage when it comes to the longevity or the sustainment of life, limb or eyesight, while you're waiting on a higher level of care. Because imagine a mass casualty takes place. Let's say a tornado rips through a town. Well, every hospital in that area is going to be overwhelmed, right? So if you're not if you're not one of those life, limb, or eyesight people that needs to be triaged and prioritized, you're lower down on the totem, to- or totem pole. You're going to have to be able to take care of yourself and sustain or maintain uh, your care while you're waiting on that upgrade of care. And let's say your, your, your trauma is elevated. Let's say you have a femoral bleed and you're bleeding out. When you go into that hospital, what's a roll of the dice? Because then you get further triage when you go inside that building. They say, hey, who's dying right now? We're going to work on them. And who's not? And then if they're not and you're in the not category, then you'll just bleed out in the in the waiting room because they can't focus on everybody. The bottom line is you are your own first response. The reality is if you're not uh, educated on the most important thing, which I think is first aid, you're at a huge disadvantage for being a victim of a natural man-made disaster. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, I want to take a poll, like our listeners and you know people. Like, how many people have a first aid kit that can, like, a real first aid kit, not one with this, some neosporin and band aids, but something that you can really treat a casualty, either in their car or in their home. I would just, it's just kind of I always ask myself that question. Yeah, that's a great question, and you know that's what we <laughs> we, we routinely try to focus on is is med a lot. Um, but let me read you, let me show you and read you a response that I got recently. I actually got that, got that this morning. So it was a, a guy named Jason and he says, Hey Mike, I just wanted to shoot you a note to say thanks for the go light bag. It's a great product. I originally bought it to keep my stuff organized and never cared much for the quick detached pouches that changed today. I came up on a rollover accident this afternoon, not 30 seconds after it happened. I stopped, grabbed the first H pouch off the bag and was out of the Jeep in five seconds. No messing with buckles or straps, everything I needed in hand instantly. The two guys were okay, but the grace of God alone because their truck was effed. Thanks again. Look, this is crazy because the the exact reason I developed that is because in my Jeep, when I responded to uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Walker uh, Booth, who was uh, killed tragically in a motorcycle accident, I was behind it. And I tried to treat him. And when I went to my vehicle, my Jeep, I had a Molly attached med kit on the back of my seat. Because that's how you roll. That was mm-hmm. the only option. I go to grab my med kit, and I'm like, holy crap, I have to detach the entire panel, or I, which is what I did. I unzipped the pouch and literally took all the contents and ran the contents to, to Walker and dropped them right by his side. I mean, think about how, yeah. how ridiculous that is. It's because there's, a, there's always been a, uh, a comparison or, or a, a crossover between the tactical space and the overland space. It's existed. And I think the military is a big proponent of that because of how we operated overseas. Well, we always had Molly panels. So you have a Molly panel, it's adhered to the panel, and you have to grab the contents. You can't take the pouch. So I'm like, why don't they just use Velcro? And then somebody said, well, you don't use Velcro because it comes off easily. But it's not going to come off behind your seat because you're not running around in body armor, mm-hmm. jumping in the prone or moving around. So we did the Velcro uh, thing, which decreases your response time. It increases your capability because you're able to rip it off, run to the site, and then, in fact, you're, you're able to rip off the entire bag or the panel and turn it into a go bag where you can put it on your back and respond or react or just go camping and have your shit with you. So I think when you're talking about survival uh, response and natural man-made disasters, you have to look at those kind of details. 
and and med, people don't think about that. Like we did the MVP for same reason. Like, mm-hmm. In fact, the reason I I don't I didn't invent the MVP. There's probably ideas floating around, but as far as I know, there's no no product really similar to it. But tr- uh, Kurt tr- flipped his truck before shot show in a ditch. And we went back to the scene of the accident and tried to recover his stuff. And I went, ins- I crawled inside of his vehicle and shit was everywhere. His tourniquet that was inside of his center console was somewhere in the back seat. Mm-hmm. His tourniquet that he kept in the glove box was in the floor of the passenger side. You're seat belted, sitting in your vehicle through a traumatic accident. You're wounded. You're bleeding out. You need to have your tourniquet and your, and your stop the bleed kit, which is our BHRK, in fucking arm's reach. You need to be able to go to your visor, to the back of your seat, to somewhere where it's safely secured and you can stop the bleed immediately. Uh, I think it's routinely, um, I mean, if, if a law enforcement agent um, or law enforcement or federal uh, law enforcement can carry a, as a protocol recipe a tourniquet on them because of the likelihood of them getting shot in a gunfight, then you should carry it for all the other circumstances. If you don't believe you're going to be a victim of a gun uh, fight, then at least carry it on your person or in your vehicle just in case you're in a fucking vehicle accident or obviously a disaster. That makes a lot of sense there, but it's it's hard to get that across to people, you know? It's like, I don't want to med so, oh, it's I'm scared, I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, oh, it's medical, it's the body, it's blood, it's this, it's that, oh, it's equipment. I don't know how to use this equipment. It's it's not that hard. It's people a, are intimidated a, by it. Yeah, yeah. very intim- intimidated. Well, that, that goes back to education again. Yep. If they knew how easy it was to use that stuff. So fucking easy. <laughs> it's so easy. Well, that's why I, people, med, med practitioners always get mad at me when I talk about stuff. And they're like, don't teach anybody to crike. And I'm like, if somebody has facial trauma that impedes their airway, and the option is a dude with a freaking butter knife versus the dude dying I want the dude with the butter knife mm-hmm. that that watched the YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't think you're gonna. And the the issue is, well, it's a liability. You don't want people going around. I, I'm pretty sure people who learn how to do cracks on YouTube aren't gonna be running around trying to crack <laughs> people uh, uh, for a living. Yeah. But um, the first time I ever did a uh, a decompression, um, a needle D decompression on a person was not in combat. It was on Walker, on, in the middle of the street in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And did I think I was going to be prepared for that moment? Fuck no. But did I want to make sure I did that before he, you know, suffocated to death, choking on his own blood and then died on the streets of Fayetteville? It's like, no, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. And so you know, when it comes to trauma, it's just like every fucking other industry. Everybody wants to protect because it's you, you need to see a practitioner, a yeah. professional. Go fuck Ugh, yourself. The, the, the difference between me and that doctor is he went to med school for and learned a whole bunch of shit that I didn't learn that's not applicable to my life. But you know the difference between me and him is I know that when I'm on my own and in a situation where I don't have a doctor in my hip pocket, that I'm gonna use my information and my resources to save my life or my family's life. Mm -hmm. So don't even argue with me, because I don't give a fuck. These doctors have argued with me over this shit. These tactics, even law enforcement, how argue me over this stuff. They're like, you shouldn't be teaching people that because it's a, a classified tactic. No, the fuck it's not. <laughs> no. It's not, and just leave me the fuck alone because when it comes to self-reliance, I want to educate people. Hell yeah. I'll throw this one in there, man. It, I use this saying all the time. They muddy the water to make it seem deep. And that's what all... Well, absolutely. All these dudes, oh. even in the tactical training space, like shooting a gun is fucking easy. It's so easy. Don't complicate it. Putting on... 
tourniquets is easy. You just have to know how to do it, rehearse it one or two times, and at, at least you have that reference. Uh, uh, I mean, you can obviously get better, but shooting guns is easy. Don't don't get comp, don't get like bogged down by people that are trying to sell you this crazy product. Uh, and that's why I like our, our our shooting program so much. It's like it's gunfighting. It's not you know this crazy uh, fundamental thing of like let's like breathe and then pull the trigger on the breathing and then oh my god I use the word pull instead of press. Like dude. Is the, it, the trigger just needs to go to the back and the round needs to fire and it just needs to be stable and steady on the target. That's it. It's like, it's not complex, but they make it complex because they're trying to sell you something. That's it. It's a, it's, it's a marketing scheme. It's a marketing mm -hmm. scheme. And don't, don't, I mean, don't be bogged down by that. I mean, if you're going to train, go train with, with whoever you want, but just understand that it's not complex and you're mainly getting the dude's idea on, on the topic. So that, that saying they muddy the water to make it seem deep seems to apply across the board even with medical like i've popped more shoulders in that were out of socket than some of the medical people that i know that are professional mm -hmm. and they have licenses to practice and i've done it more because i've run into it more and i just i i fucking, <laughs> i learned it the hard way one and then two i was like well maybe i should look into this and then i learned how to pop in shoulders and i i've popped in shoulders at skydive joints where people you know they go tandem and then weak shoulder boom it pops out from free fall and I did it to a nurse. So I popped a nurse's shoulder back in and she's like, are you trained? Are you a doctor? I'm like, no, but check it out. Boom, shoulders back in. <laughs> and I'm like, now what? You know, I'm sorry I didn't have a, a credential, but I'm pretty sure I put your shoulder back yeah. in and you're now and, out of pain. And it's like some people are like, oh, I don't know where to get educated. And it's, not, it's like, Get a book, read a book, download a book. <laughs> well, like, YouTube is the big re research something, you know? You're read right. Read an article, man. something, just to get that, just your mindset, like to where you, okay, I'm going to read up on how to do a tourniquet. Okay, next step, I'm going to actually get a tourniquet. Next step, I'm actually uh, practice applying the tourniquet. It's not that hard, it's, yeah. it's easy. It, you know, it's our, I find it's our job to educate people on this kind of stuff. And, you know, you know, just speaking about that, we had recently talked about it, Raul. I know you've tried this, but it's called Blinkist. It's B-L-I-N-K, like blink your eye, I-S-T dot com. And it's this, this thing where, you know, where people don't have enough time to basically uh, take in information so they, they get the short form of it. Uh, you know, you, you've tried it before, right? I have. And you know what? I, I, this is my second year with this company or this app. And it's not what you think. So when I mention this app to people, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not getting all of the uh, of the content of the book. And I'm like, I know that. I'm trying to tell you that what they did was they take the important parts of a book. They give you those parts. And then you decide. You decide if you're going to go out and read the full book to get all of the information. They're not claiming to sell all of the, the, the vitals of a book. They're just telling you like, hey, these are the important parts that we were able to dissect and then here it is. Listen to it. If it's what you're looking for, get the book. Um, and if it's not, then you just don't. You know what I mean? But at least now you can sift through a bunch of stuff and, and a, a bunch of different information and then pick the books that you do want to read through. And I think that, I mean, that's great because... I don't, you don't always get everything from the back of the cover or the inside front flap of the cover uh, of the book. So why not utilize uh, an app like, like Blinkist to, you know, kind of give you the heads up on a book. And if it's really interesting, you're going to buy the book anyway. And that's what I've done. I've bought maybe 10 books, but I've gone through maybe 500 Blinkists. So that's all. Yeah. I'm the same way when I use Blinkist, like I'm doing, you know, the most popular books, like the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey or why we get fat or the Bulletproof Diet, or even some of Tim Ferriss's book, like the Four Hour Work Week. What I'll do is I'll go through it and I'll see, you know, I'll get all the need to know information from 
you know, you can get a, it's got a library of a thousand nonfiction books and condenses them down. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get the, the cliff note version and then go, oh, this is a good book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy the book and then I'm going to put it on the shelf as a reference because, you know, I, I'm a big nonfiction guy. I have thousands of books. And if it's, if, if it's good, you know, speaking about resources of information, I'm going to shelve it because I want it there. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to get bogged down by buying these books that just have irrelevant information for three quarters of it. Yeah. And then you don't find out until you're 300 pages in, <laughs> which is a, a waste of time. Yeah. Um, right now, actually, you know, me and Raul like this product so much, we actually contact them. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience, just for you guys who are listening. If you go to Blinkist.com, that's B-L-I-N-K again, like blinking your eye, I-S-T, Blinkist.com, backslash or slash survival, um, you'll be able to save, um, you'll be able to save uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, money up front because they're going to give you a free seven-day trial off the bat, which is, they don't nice. do that. Um, so again, visit the URL, Blinkist.com, uh, slash survival to start your free seven-day trial and make sure you use survival. Uh, hey guys, you know when we're when we're looking at uh, all the things that we could do in preparedness, um, it, it, it kind of gives the sense of doom and gloom. I, I don't know. I've been feeling down lately. Fucking like I'm not as optimistic as I as I used to be because of all the uh, the situations that I've been seeing. And then you know the next topic that we're talking about is the future of our society. And I want to get you guys' take because you know there's a whole bunch of things climactically uh, that are. Uh, polarizing issues that are happening. One of those things is like our identity crisis. I mean, everybody uh, is segregating themselves in groups, which is creating a huge division and segregating our culture um, more so than it's ever been in history. You know, you can go on any social media page and identify with one group and then you band together with that group and you talk shit to the other group. But it's, it's becoming more polarizing because now you have the the, the freedom to flex that information into platforms like Twitter, like Facebook, and then allow that to, you know, develop a uh, a violent um, uh, sentiment for another group, and the next thing you know, you're burning sh- you're burning shit down. In fact, I just came across. Actually, I'll click on this right now. I just came across a issue um, in San Francisco. Uh, you guys seeing this? San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up real quick because. Uh, I literally just saw the headline pop across my screen on my computer. Um, here, I'll look it up. San Francisco um, riot. Um, but basically a division. So here we go. It might have been an order thing. Um, demonstrators fill the streets. Giant riots. It's old. Uh, I can't find it right now. But the, the bottom line is you have... I mean, whether it's Berkeley, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, New York, wherever it may be. I don't know if you guys remember this, like a year ago. Remember, it was like Black Lives Matter, right? It was yes. a big, a, a huge movement. And there was all these fringes that were coming up and then violently protesting and causing issues. They were shooting at cops, shooting cops. There's officers that were killed in this, this movement. But then it was being used as a platform to justify violence. And so the line is very murky, right? Because even the media that reports on these things, it, it didn't used to be like the, the good old days where if you were a journalist, you were in the field for 20, 30 years before you get to sit on your ass inside of a studio and go, hey, this is me, these are the situations. Now you just get some some good looking dude or chick and they read a teleprompter yep. and, and spew the propaganda of that media agency and then they get everybody fired the fuck up. 
Uh, CNN is a big proponent in that, right? If you look at every headline on CNN.com, which I do often, you'll see nothing but polarizing issues that have no major significance or impact on your day-to-day lives that truly fucking don't matter, that they're creating this division amongst us. Uh, I remember uh, Don Lemon was like basically justifying all the uh, violent acts that were being conducted of people burning down their own businesses and in their own neighborhoods saying that it should be allowed for them to do that because it allows them to get it off their chest. Since when in our country have we developed a, a culture in which we allow violent actors to come out of the woodwork because they don't feel good, they feel oppressed, they feel angry to go fucking burn down our fucking neighborhoods? I'll tell you what, that wouldn't be happening to the Korean fucking businesses because they're familiar ass down with a fucking yeah. MP5. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's becoming more polarizing Political divisions. I mean, dude, like, let's talk about the political climate right now. Who is going to stand up and, you know, on the on the liberal left, right? If you look at the the far left leaning um, political drivers, um, who's who's actually going to step up and create a uh, a platform or a forum for honest discussion to get through things that are happening? I mean, dude. Nancy Pelosi. I, I don't know why I was dreaming about her last night. It's kind of weird. Mm, that is weird. Um, but Nancy Pelosi, she's a millionaire. Mm-hmm. She's made millions of dollars. She's the Speaker of the House. And the Democrats have put her on a pedestal and said, hey, you, you're the, the end all be all. Or have we just said, you know what? There's fucking nobody else. So go fucking knock this shit out. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the state of our country, I'm trying to be, ah, maybe I'm not trying to be. Maybe I'm just seeing. Kind of like what I've always been noted for in my special operations career as being good at is a predictor based on information of either the offensive or defensive posture of our situation and being successful and planning an operation. And so I take all this information. It doesn't look good good to Mm -hmm. me. It looks like a shit show to me. Sorry, that's my rant. Well, how do you fuck you feel about it, George? I I just, the whole political politics i just I'm not, i don't get into it i don't feed into it i just think you know it's it's like you take our president okay we get it man like he's doing his thing and he's just making it hard on himself with his you know what he just tweets and what he talks about and, don't you think I, but i just think it's taken out of like it's like well on. here's my thing i think it actually is part of a deliberate plan yeah. look you're looking at a, a person who has deliberately used psychological warf- warfare to win in business. I mean, he didn't win in business and become a real estate mogul because he was just fucking randomly spitballing shit. He did it because he had a deliberate marketing strategy. What he's doing, like people go, oh yeah, he's he's, uh, very toxic on Twitter. Yes, he is, but what is that doing to the liberal media? You know Mm -hmm. what it does? It spirals those motherfuckers out of control. It makes them spend hundreds of millions of dollars in resources, focus on, on shit that doesn't matter, and makes them look like dumbasses. Yeah, it's like it's like the guy who's like, who's in a confrontation with somebody. He's like, "I'll fuck you up." Yeah, and then he's like, "What'd you say?" He's like, "Nothing, man. I just don't want to." You know, <laughs> it just, just gets you. in their head. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to work through this, man. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking fuck you up later on. You heard him, right? You heard what he said. Like, no, uh, no, he didn't. We didn't hear what he said. He's a good dude. Like, he is using psychological warfare on these fucking idiots through a Twitter page, through like 200 characters. Mm-hmm. And it just spins the world out of control. But you know what's getting done? 
on the back end, he's actually getting things accomplished, yeah. which I, is ironic. I, I, I take a, I'd like to take a look at a more simple approach to it. It's like you can't blame one man, one person, one woman for the problems you have in your society or in your community. It starts with like those people you elected to run that community. So instead of saying, oh, it's Trump's fault, it's, it's all his fault that there's a homeless man on the corner. No, it's not his fault. It's your community's fault. It's your community leader's fault that that's happening. Like, get your shit together. Get your house cleaned up before you start looking at other people's houses. It's that simple. If we, like Raul said, if we start acting like a community and start building, like, our cities, our towns up a little better and just reaching out and helping people or whatever the situation is, get more involved in your local community instead of worrying about what's going on in the White House, I think the world would be a little, or, you know, the U.S. would be a, a little better. You know what I mean? Just a little bit, just a little just a little bit. That's all. That's all we're asking for. That's my simple, simplest take on it. Is just community, like police our own communities up before we start talking about what's going on in Washington D.C. It's like, come on, people. Like, really, you're going to blame Trump for every little thing. Like, people are trying to blame him for the mass shooting in New Zealand be- just because the guy said something about Trump in his little manifesto. It's like, yeah, he's a troll. Really, you think he's polarizing? You, you think fuck, Trump yeah. and him are on the phone? Okay, this is it at one forty-eight. You're going to go into that mosque and take care of business. Well, they no, do was talking like, shit about Trump. Yeah, too. Like, like, come he, on. Like, stop it, people. Like, well, here, you're, you're absolutely right in this tactic. The tactic, and I, hey, I took this tactic as a team sergeant. Um, George, you know, had the, the uh, uh, me and George operated together doing counterterrorism shit across the uh, north um, portion of Africa, Tunisia, uh, Libya, Algeria. Here's the thing. I always told my guys, and this is my philosophy as a leader in special operations, as long as I shield them, right, as long as I insulate them from the bullshit coming top down, then I can get things accomplished. So if that meant me sacrificing time or effort, you know, work in order to make that happen, then I'm allowing my guys to do their job, which is train, become, uh, you know, tactically proficient, technically proficient, and physically fit and allow them to do that while being insulated. That's the same exact protocol that local governance should take into consideration. That there's gonna be polarizing issues outside of your bubble. The bubble that we live in is Prescott, Prescott Valentino Valley. And the reality is we can't affect a lot, but if we institute and enact or execute a lot of good policy at the local level and protecting and insulating our own communities, then if shit does happen, that's fucked up, that's wrong, um, outside of our control, at least our own committees will be policed. I mean, at least our own law enforcement officers, our own first responders, our own government policies and civilians will be protected and will be able to uh, insulate in their own space and grow up well without worrying about all the shits, sandwiches that are happening all over the U.S. I, I, I bring up Cali often because California just like many inner cities, and Raul knew, I'll get Raul's perspective on Chicago. Look, if you want to see what the democratic approach is, and I, again, I'm not, I'm an independent. Um, I'm actually um, going to be a registered independent this year. Um, if you look at the democratic policy approaches in California, you will see all the failings of what uh, the democratic movement has done in that state. Every single thing that's bad has gotten worse. If you look at economy drivers, if you look at uh, agriculture, uh, if you look at immigration, 
every single thing that is bad has gotten worse. Every single thing that was good has gotten bad. And so that place, if you just drive through LA, Central Valley, San Francisco Bay Area, it is a fucking shit show. Uh, more homeless, uh, more job loss, more migration of immigrants because there's it's a uh, it's a uh, um, what is it called a, a state that's a, a, a sanctuary state a sanctuary state. Um, a lot of problematic issues, but you know what's gotten this, the, what stayed the same? The fact that those politicians that are there are getting richer and getting fatter and getting and getting better at organizing their own in the epicenters that they in bubbles they live in in the cities they live in. And so they're destroying the rural areas outside in, and eventually it's going to catch up. But you don't have to look far to see an example of what it's going to look like if that kind of if that type of governance takes over federally across the United States of America. I mean, you, Raul, what's your perspective on Chicago, man? Because it, you know, the we we quote this often: the most dangerous place in in the United States in uh, inner city crime, with the highest statistics of people getting killed in inner cities, is Chicago. Raul worked there undercover as a police officer who's got a unique perspective. So it's funny because California and, and now Chicago are blending to the point where they're like looking very similarly. Um, you still have a lot of free thinkers and Illinois is kind of an interesting state. Uh, it, we, we laugh from Chicago and we'll be like, uh, it should be the, the state of Chicago and the, you know, and Illinois is just a city uh, that surrounds it. So um, just because Chicago creates the laws for the state it creates the the tempo for the whole state um the issue too is the way that it's blending from california over to chicago is that even the law enforcement perspective um, the calia standard or whatever that's a california-based model that it's being dumped into chicago so chicago is now trying to operate and be um very California-like as far as like gun laws and, and how they do things. And it, it's just not working. It, it, it hasn't worked and it's not going to work. Uh, crime's going to continue to stay the same because the criminals don't change. Uh, and the criminals are created in an environment like that. Again, more laws create more criminals, right? So the more crazy little laws that the, that the idea of um, reinforcing freedom or taking away certain... Um, I guess their liberties uh, in, in a way where it's like, well, let's regulate this to stop this. And again, it, it just feeds that vicious cycle where you're creating criminals out of people that aren't criminals. And that's what that's what uh, the California model is starting to look like in, in Chicago, even though, I mean, Chicago's kind of been very uh, left heavy for a long time. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I look at all of the policy changes uh, United States wide and there's a whole legacy issue, right? All these old politicians that are in the United States government, um, you know, outside of the fact that they're making, you know, they're like, people are like, no, they, you know, they don't make enough money. Well, they're, they're serving in a position to serve their communities or the, the country. Military members do that and they don't get paid shit. So they do it. There's an expectation that they're supposed to get paid. You spend three years as a senator, you got pension for life, six-figure pension for life. You're in the military, you get you go to war, you lose your legs, you don't get any fucking pension besides the disability that's that's micro-dosed and micromanaged and fucked up from the VA. And so if you look at both models, um, there's definitely flaws in the political model. On top of that, these guys can lobby, they could do uh, private work and become millionaires in their positions. 
the more money, the more influence, and the more problematic of it, it is to get rid of these legacy old school politicians who have stopped thinking innovatively and outside the box and instead are just spinning the wheels, doing donuts and circles inside of a parking lot, not willing to fucking journey and uh, do the hard work that's required to change governance. And so a a lot of these uh, states and a lot of these cities, uh, especially on the left, are going through these issues. And it's just going to lead to more chaos, confusion. And it, it just seems, it's almost like in our lifetime, you could predict that we're going to be in a position where there will be another civil war. Now, it's it's probably one major catastrophe away from that the likes of something like that. And it's not even, it, you know, outside of the Russian influence, it's not easy for hackers to create disinformation and to get people spun up to create chaos. I mean, I'm thinking if I'm a foreign entity and I'm a bad actor against the United States of America, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create thousands and thousands and thousands of polarizing accounts, which have been done. And I'm going to focus all my effort on making Americans fight against each other. Black lives matter, blue lives matter, white lives matter, whoever the fuck's lives matter. Then I'm going to get them to show up at a fucking spot. I'm going to create anarchy in that space. I'm going to put up a couple embedded actors who are going to throw shit at the other group. And then I'm going to create a riot. And that riot's going to get all the informal actors that are outside of that to fucking fight and combat and pick up arms. And the next thing you know, you're going to have people doing it and they don't even know why the fuck they're doing it. They're going to pick picking up arms and going, I'm going to fuck these guys. This is the left or this is the right or this, these are black or these are white or these are bad and these are good. And they're going to be fighting and not even knowing why. We're one major incident uh, that's probably easy to happen um, away from fucking total chaos. And so we're in a bad situation, man. I mean, Social media, for example, has been a, a big uh, point of discussion at Philcraft because if you look at the power that social media has, you know, Facebook has an excess of 3 billion users. That's more than the, the reg- not registered, that's more than fucking all of Christianity across the world. That, think about that. Think about how much power and influence you have. It's like these fucking idiots uh, talking shit to me about um, not looking at doctors when it comes to the opioid epidemic. Who the fuck you want me to look at? If a pharmaceutical company pays doctors hundreds of millions of dollars a year to influence their behavior and they pre- prescribe more drugs, who the fuck is to blame? Uh, in fact, I look at the pharmacy company and I go, You're, they're utilizing the loopholes that exist right now. They're fucking smart in business. You know who's the dumbass? The American people are dumbasses because uh, we've, been, we've been sold drugs that are fucking killing us in, in an opioid epidemic. But, but the doctors will shun you, right? They'll, it's not the doctor's fault. Well, then whose fucking fault is it? Because the doctor has to write the prescription. Whose fault is it? Is it the people who are become addicted, even though we know those are uh, those addictive properties? Who are we blaming here? And so when you look at social media, who's the fucking blame? Are we going to blame the people who are getting psychologically fucking mind-fucked because there's a psychologist that works for Facebook whose only job is to ensure they they grasps as much attention as possible from that teenager, from that child, or from that adult, and then skew their behavior based on that? Because it all comes down to dollars and cents. And that's not a fucking conspiracy theory. That's the reality. So now what is the danger of that? The danger is power and influence. If you have a megaton, mega shit ton company like Facebook, who buys out all the other platforms, who now owns all the communication outlets, who now is going to be uh, have more influence and more control than our fucking government, 
then what is that going to end like? I'll tell you what's going to end like. It's going to end like a fucking hack or some shit going the wrong way and our society imploding because of the influence of social media. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than social media in the fucking world. Uh, having dated fucking women who are fucking addicted to fucking social media, having myself been addicted to social media, having people see, having seen people's lives ruined, relationships ruined, careers ruined over social media, you tell me who the fuck is, uh, uh, who, who's the most powerful entity on the planet and who has the most control. In fact, you're probably listening to, to this podcast right now through a fucking social media platform. Um, so we have to pay attention. Identifying that problem, what's the solution? The solution is, hey, we need laws against Facebook, uh, laws against Twitter, so they're not monopolizing like they are now all the power, uh, all the resources. And controlling everything you post. and uh, well, They can influence psychologically the, the way our entire country thinks based on an algorithm. He, he, I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a second here. These are free applications, right? So we need to be careful with how much we take them uh, literally. And, and like, just be honest with yourself. We, it's a free app on your phone. It's a free app on the internet. And it's just another way of collecting data. So knowing that it's free, knowing that it's a lot of bullshit and a lot of it's just to sell you stuff, right? Because like right now, if we mention something like, uh, I don't know, Levi's Jean Company, right? I guarantee in like, a couple of hours, oh, we're going to be seeing time. ads for it. Every you know? single time. I, so, if I look, look at something on Amazon or look at something on the internet, it comes into my Facebook feeds as a sponsor yeah. or in my Instagram feeds as a sponsor yeah. every single time. And that's the, that's the algorithm that Mike's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And why it, it, it's allowed to do it is because when you agree to use these apps, you agree access to your microphone, you agree access to your camera. Yep. So it's listening to what you're saying. It's it's and it's not a conspiracy. Like I'm not afraid of my phone. You know, I I, I actively carry it. I use it. Uh, I understand the risks and the hazards. But I mean, just don't, don't be afraid of your equipment. Just understand the reality that now you live in and have agreed to. So it's a free app. You're posting pictures. Nobody's telling mm-hmm. you to post those pictures. You're posting information. Nobody's made you post that. Um, you're just giving away this data. Uh, and we do it to ourselves. And it's, again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I do like these apps. I use them as well and they're very fun and, and they can be addicting. So take a little break from them sometimes, but just know that, that somebody made a product to gather information, uh, willing or unwilling participants are now giving it all up and we use it to connect. We use it to all the, so there is a purpose for good. And then there are entities that will use it against you. So just understand that. Um, just be mindful more than anything. Yeah, I think the the issue for me is the kind of the free enterprise aspect of it. Like, you know, I used to love Instagram. It was great. It was great before Facebook owned it because it was actually a social media platform that wasn't inundated with sponsored ads yep. and it wasn't convoluted. And so your reach was great because it was organic. If you had reach based on the algorithm, you could reach a whole shit ton of people and you were never shadow banned, suppressed because of marketing subjective judgment, right? What's happening now is because more in influence uh, is introduced via the marketing platforms. Facebook buys um, Instagram. Every OG Instagram employee at, at the corporate level has left because they're like, "This we're fed up with this shit. Like, we, we know what you're doing and now you're influencing behavior and suppressing organic reach because you want more money. So now it changes the way that things are happening in behavior. My, my, the biggest significant issue I have is if you look at 
statistics around young women, for example, teenagers, women, uh, female, uh, young young women, especially in the in the uh, early ad- adolescent stages, we understand how the prefrontal cortex is developed, how we how we developed as human beings. These children who are tuning into these apps, um, you know, it used to be like us, right? We go out, we go to school, we get made fun of, picked on. You beat somebody's ass, you get in a fight, you get in a brawl. You go home, you're insulated from mm-hmm. it. You go to home, you're you got your cartoons, you got your GI Joes, you got your He Men. You're you're in this environment where you could be safe. Now kids aren't safe because now they go home and the shit follows them. People get their number, they get their DM, uh, they get their their IG, their Facebook, and they are fucking harassed. So you got these little girls who are killing themselves, right? Which has increased. It's increased um, because of social media, and there has to be some level of um, um, control or advocacy for control at some point for these platforms, because it would be the it would be the same thing as if. You went to Walmart, and as you went to Walmart, your little girl went off on her own, and she went into the aisles and was looking around, and some creepy dude was trying to solicit her and then trying to influence her mind while she's walking around in this public forum, and and we didn't allow that. When AOL started uh, group chats, right, we were open forum discussing everything, right, and then you had some asshole come in, and he's like, hey, do you want to buy some stuff, or hey, you want to follow me and look at some stuff, and you're like, who the fuck are you? And then we had to start moderating forums. And then we had to develop spam and, and, uh, and all these apps to be able to suppress all this bullshit. Well, now you go on social media and behind the scenes, when something looks good, it's being manipulated for that person. Instead, there's a puppeteer controlling what the people see. So now you think that guy who's talking to your daughter in Walmart's cool because it's like, oh, he's an employee of Walmart. But you don't realize there's underlying psychological impacts that's taking place and trying to influence their behavior and their decision making. And the next thing you know, these little girls and little boys grow up to be adults and they get addicted. It's just like anything. Like we understand there's, um, there's endorphins, there's all these chemicals, dopamine that is released when we swipe and we scroll. That's why we do it. You swipe, swipe and scroll because you're getting something out of it that's beneficial to your brain. It's releasing this chemical. Well, they know that. So the more they could do that, the longer they can capture attention, the more money they can make because they could Im- implement the ads. So my whole thing is that's a deliberate mechanism in order to control your behavior. And the problem is we are not fucking smart enough as human beings. The world is not smart enough as human beings to be able to make good decisions, we don't have the fucking aptitude. We don't have the intelligence. And so somebody has to protect the people who are fucking dumb. Because even though I, I, we use it for good for the most part in order to um, manipulate behavior for positive things, there's going to be assholes uh, like Facebook who are doing it for negative things. I mean, Facebook suppresses us because we do gun shit. Yeah. But we're teaching self-defense and safe gun handling skills. But they'll promote fucking porn, or they'll promote a uh, you know a burger company that's p- uh, promoting heart disease. But we're the enemy, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like that subjectiveness is bullshit. Um, I, I I prefer the platforms that it's like the end all be all. As long as you're not threatening somebody's life, um, there shouldn't be moderation, and that there should be platforms. There's there's actually pro- platforms like now uh, called uh, like Brain or Mind Brain or Brain.com or something like that. 
there's a few applications that are trying to innovate that space, but guess what? It's a losing battle. You're not going to beat Facebook, man. They're almost a trillion dollar fucking company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw what happened when Facebook shut down a few days ago and it shut down for 24 hours. Motherfuckers were losing their mind. Yep. The world was about to shut down. Like, I can't post. Help. Yeah. It was a break for me, man. It felt good. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, we were hanging out, right? Yeah. It was actually, we were actually doing human beings. Yeah. It's crazy. Real things. <laughs> we went outside and like our eyes caught light and like we were like walking weird, around. man. We got instant tans. We yeah. got fitter. It's like, wow, man. Walked around a little bit. I know, man. It was nice Posture being a human. Posture got a lot better, you know? Yeah, nice being a human being, man, and interacting as people. I don't know, you, man. What's cool, though, talking locally, like our local uh, reach here in town and who, who we have available, we have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of vets in town. And uh, I went for my first Cairo visit yesterday, and uh, I visited uh, Jerome. Uh, that's the doctor's name, uh, his first name. We're on a first first name basis. Yeah, oh, that's cool. It's just like George and I, and, and you know, we're, we're buds. Yes, uh, sir. <laughs> so uh, it was cool because it, maintenance for your body is like maintenance for your mind, right? Make sure you take in the right information. You're reading, you're growing your brain, but the, the body needs it as well. Uh, I do a lot of training, so I need a lot of like rehabish kind of deals and PT and flexibility and just staying healthy and uh, so here in town uh his his practice is lifestyle chiropractic and it is uh over on um let me see if i can get the information properly well the big the the cool thing man is you know if you're looking for maintenance it's like hygiene right Mm -hmm. you know you want if you have accumulation of plaque you brush your teeth and it, it benefits your overall health the only thing that's helped my back the only thing that's helped my back and my neck is chiropractic. Oh, yeah. That, that's it. You, you can't give me enough pills to help my back. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't it's, work. It's an adjustment because yep. all that pressure. I it's got on a nerve or something. Compressed it, disc and C5 and C6. The only thing that will help me is this guy. And, and dude, it's crazy because the military was always like, here, take this pill or take that pill. And that's mm-hmm. how a lot of my buddies uh, ended up being users afterwards and it's it sucks to see that when there are better options uh again it's just like oh it's not you know professional medical stuff but i'm all about uh natural uh medicine and understanding the body and and just being more more educated myself so i definitely use this guy locally so if you guys are in prescott prescott valley chino um and want to go see uh dr jerome Longoria. Uh, he's over at 142 North Rush Street in Prescott. And what's cool is that uh, he'll check you out. He's a veteran himself, and his wife is a veteran, and they own the practice together. So it's a, a veteran-owned family working together to help other people, and, it, and it's cool to see businesses like that that are more um, natural and practical for, for lifestyle stuff. And then if you want to get beat up and get your body right, uh, I train at Average Joe's MMA. That's over on uh, 609 Miller Valley Road in Prescott, and it's just a good time. John's a great instructor there, a good coach, uh, cool background. He's more of a uh, the catch wrestling MMA guy, and I've learned a lot. I really like that place. It's a good place to train in town, and hopefully we'll have him up here for a seminar. Yeah, I like you know I, what I like about uh, Raul talking about that stuff, and we had discussions offline. Is look, we don't, I don't even give a fuck if people are in the competitive space. Like I want competition. Yeah. I have a rule. Like I don't care what industry, what what space. The, what I feel like is if you want to, to uh, uh, develop and grow as a business or as a person, you need, to, you need to communicate and build rapport and relationships with other companies in your space. And these, there's, there's subject matter experts in the same space that we're in that are just better at doing what we do. 
I mean, I'm, I, look, I'm not a fighter. I haven't grown up as a professional fighter or an amateur fighter. I could beat some ass, but I'm, I'm not in that field. There's guys that teach combatives. Raul could probably teach combatives than, better than I am. I, so I'm not going to fucking pretend. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leverage the resource of the du- dudes like Raul, Darren, and all these guys that we, Chad Robichaud, that we uh, work with, and leverage their talents and, and um, put them up. Because I expect the same thing from them. If they're looking at a dude who shoots guns, I mean, I could shoot guns decently. I could teach first aid decently. So, uh, you know, having that cross opportunity to to leverage experience is important. And that's how I think we fucking roll. George, what are you bringing to the table? I bring my tenacity, hard work, uh, my processes I put in place, and my organizational skills to make the company run more efficiently and better as a whole on both sides of the operations, whether it be our Kydex side, our logistics, or our training side with Raul. He's reading this piece of paper. He knew this question was so, coming. Pre- um, man, that's all I got. That's the first time you didn't say um or like. I know, dude. <laughs> that was awesome. Like, like <laughs> because I'm passionate about this job. I wake up every morning and I just I'm ready to come to work. I, I love it. Man, I'm excited to come here. And You're work. making me excited. You know right what I mean? Now. Like, let's get to work. Let's make things better. Yes, dude. How? What's what the Man, I, I don't even know what to say. After that, I'm just impressed. <laughs> I'm breathtaking. Like, I'm fucking impressed, man. man. I mean, it's off the top of the dome. That was a freestyle right there. So just write it down, you know? <laughs> um, let's let's do this. Uh, what do we got coming up, up and coming for the company? I know we got a lot of shit going on. Let's, do, that, let's do like the next 60 days. We got that Go Rig Challenge 2. We just bought that. And oh, boom. damn. Tell them. Tell them. Okay, so Go Rig Challenge 2. We haven't outlined all the details, but here's the basic gist. Here's the one-minute version. We did the part one with uh, self-sustained bugging out. We're doing the same thing with a bike. No support, no lodging, no chow, no fuel. But we're utilizing and leveraging a network. You only have 300-mile range on a seven-gallon bike. So you have to be able to use a resource because you can't carry that much fuel on the fucking bike. So we're using you know, uh, Mutiny Metals, which is, I think that's their Instagram, Mutiny yeah. Metals, uh, makes cool little... Uh, gold and silver bars. They could use any metal, but you can have your logo put in it. I'm going to make silver and gold coins to be able to barter for labor and for uh, gold and silver coins to get lodging, to get fuel. You know, hey, if you're in um, in, in San Diego, California, I'm going to be coming through there. So I'm going to meet up with somebody, give them a gold coin with a Philcraft logo on it that's worth, that has a value of 100 bucks, and they're going to give me fuel. They're going to let me sleep on their couch, uh, eat all their shit, and then roll out. <laughs> And so uh, we picked a KTM 640 Adventure, which I'm so stoked about. It's got LC4. Can I just come in for a second? So yesterday we picked up the bike at this guy's house, and Mike took it on a test drive. And he had, you know, his helmet on with, you know, you could see his face. No, he had a – no, you didn't wear a helmet because we have no helmet laws in Arizona, so people calm down. But when he came up the driveway, his smile – was ear to ear and it was just like a little kid on his like first bike and it was exciting so I was balling out bro this thing is yeah it's it's good it's, it's good exciting. man it's healthy for me it just keeps me away from the office and lets the guys do the grind yeah. <laughs> and i like that i just i'll content provide but go rig challenge 2 is going down soon we'll have it done before overland expo which is may 16 17 and 18 and overland expo is we're going to highlight the bike on scene with new kit that we got and developed for the bike i can't fucking wait what else uh, training wise, there's we have a uh, gunfighter pistol and carbine the 30th and the 31st of this month in San Diego. Uh, how do you guys uh, feel about that? It's good because it's sold out. Nice. Oh, that's always. It's like thing. sold out in a week. Yeah. 
that that's a good place. We should probably go back there. Yeah, I'm trying with uh, Lee from Gunfighter Tactical in San Diego. He's been uh, really hooking it up for us and just being a great host on uh, everything we need. So pretty excited to get get uh, finally to meet him and get more of these courses on our uh, calendar. Hey, if you are a tribe member, we have a tribe membership for uh, exclusive content and you know the closed Facebook page, the free access to the expo, a whole bunch of good stuff. Uh, discounts of 15% first year, 20% the second year, which is half my margin typically on profit uh, profiting. Um, so you guys can get a, a good uh, idea of what we have to offer on fieldcraftsurvival.com. But if you are in the area and you are a tribe monthly or annual member, you get into all of our seminars for free. The first one that we're hosting for combatives with Darren and Raul is going to be March 13th. And again, you get into that for free. Just make sure you email. April. April. I'm sorry, April. April. We already passed April on March. I don't even know what month it is, man. Where am I? That's, um, that's why we're here. I know. Yeah, I need you guys. <laughs> April 13th. Sign up for it by going to philcraftsurvival.com uh, um, and actually paying the 50 bucks. Or if you're a tribe member, you could save on the first month. You saved, uh, you get that for free, so you already got twenty dollars in your freaking pocket. Um, so uh, email George at PhilCraftSurvival.com if you're a private tribe member that wants to get into that course as well. What else is that? It on the fourteenth we have Gunfighter Pistol here in town. So if you're coming in for the seminar, stick around and do the pistol course the next day. Uh, one thing we didn't mention that we should probably throw out there: anytime we host anything here in in our HQ area, it's going to be reduced pricing just because we want more of a reach. We want to stay connected with with the local um, shooters, trainers, and anybody who wants training. Uh, so we're going to bring our price down for home base operation stuff because uh, I think it'll it'll help us in, in how we agreed in, in our conversations about this, guys. Uh, it'll help us keep that group coming in for more and more and then building a community around it, um, which I think is better uh, for everybody. You're so sweet, Raul. I try. You're so sweet. Uh, Product-wise, what else, George? We got anything else? Uh, Product-wise, we obviously uh, have the MVP, the Modular Visor Panel, on sale right now. We have a few left, so get them while they're hot. We also have uh, some Altimas on sale. They're discounted down, I think, $65, or $65. So just check the website for available sizes. We also have those EDM Go light bags in stock. I mean, get one for your rig. It's... It's pretty cool. I have a couple of mine because obviously, I mean, I work at Fieldcraft, so I have to promote the company. But um, they Doc come Spartan. in handy. Doc Spartan. We have our Doc Spartan Fieldcraft Survival Combat Ointment. If you're in the self-care and you're into making your skin, uh, you know, soft, silky, and smooth, or if you have a bump, a scrape, if you have a burn, this stuff is uh, it's magical on I there. use it on my lips. Yeah, you can use it on your lips. I used well, it on, well, you on my were using hands. it in your crotch yesterday. What was that yeah, for? It's just because, you know, we're, we're working out a lot. I want to keep everything nice and just oiled up and just smooth down there. You know what you I mean? Know, it, wasn't your, it wasn't your leg. It was like your crotch. Like right. It was, it was like in the groin area underneath, like the, under, the undercarriage. Oh. You know, oh. you get some chafing in the undercarriage. You know, you can, you can put that on there. <laughs> I'm going to get you pasties, dude. So when we start running, <laughs> you don't it's get sad, chafed man. nipples, dude. Yeah. I feel bad for you, bro. You know, it is what it is. You're When you're a big guy, I mean, I've been... You know, the retirement has not treated me well, so I got to get back into it, and I got to keep my body nice and, you know, lubed up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, that's yeah, the end of the yeah. podcast, guys. Here we go. Should hey, go so, hey, it's a hour 42 podcast. I like doing a long form of shit, man. I like just like, yeah, flushing shit out. Get it, who cares? We, we said it all. We'll talk all fucking day. All day. Uh, <laughs> I would talk all day, but I got Chick-fil-A. It's Chick-fil-A Thursday, so mm. we got is Chick-fil-A. It, it yeah. is. 
Man, we need to get a Chick-fil-A sponsor, man. Here Take you, you off the keto. Chick-fil-A, come on. Damn, I can't wait. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the podcast. If you guys want to check us out on social media, it's philcraftsurvival.com, philcraftmobility.com. We also have uh, at philcraftmobility, at philcraftsurvival uh, on Instagram. Uh, in addition to that, at philcraftsurvivalfit. If you haven't noticed, we cover all aspects of all things philcraft. Uh, in, in addition, um, Raul dot Martinez dot junior, uh, George underscore team Philcraft and Mike dot a dot Glover. We appreciate you guys, guys. Until next time, I'm going to say stay alert and you guys are going to say together, stay alive. Stay alert. Stay alive. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Later, guys. Later, guys.